You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Breitman. Today, I'm sitting down with John Farragon to talk about recent updates to the DHHS guidelines in March 2023. Welcome again, John. Yeah, thanks, Mariana. Happy to be here again. So, John, what can you tell us about the recent updates to the DHHS guidelines that came out in March of 2023? What exactly changed? Yeah, so I think this is a good thing for us to review. I, I know many of you, if you listen to us on a regular basis, you've heard multiple podcasts on Lenacapavir, you know, through the some of the updates and um, over the last couple of months. But uh, on March 23rd this year, 2023, the DHHS updated the, their guidelines um, that now includes the FDA-approved capsid inhibitor Lenacapavir. So, you know, we have reviewed this in detail in previous podcasts, but most of it we've kind of talked about as it relates to highly treatment experienced patients, and we'll talk about those in a second. Um, but also, if you remember, when we, t- we covered this at some of the crime um, updates as well, we talked about how it was combined, when the capier was combined with some of those broadly neutralizing antibodies, and that was presented a few months ago at Croy in Seattle. And um, since it was FDA approved in December of 2022, you know, many sections of the DHS guidelines had to be updated to reflect its approval. So you know, it takes a couple months to get that to happen. And now, you know, we have in March, in a March here, we have like an update that has includes lenacapavir uh, in there, including the drug interaction section of the DHS tables, which I think is really helpful. And what exactly was added to the guidelines recently as it relates to lenacapavir? Well, yeah. So I think most important, Marianne, is um, I think the guidelines, um, it's a, first of all, it's always a great place to go, right? To get really kind of the most crucial information about new HIV meds. So they always do a great job of kind of the narrative and talking about it. But as it relates to the, the role of HIV drugs and therapy, you know, the, the guidelines are really crucial for that. Um, so DHHS added a really nice narrative. It described the, the Capella study. And uh, just as a reminder, though, for, for those of you who may not listen every week, that this lenacapavir is, is that new long-acting uh, HIV caps inhibitor you can you can give. Um, there's a couple of different initiation schemes. There's an oral plus a sub-acute dosing, but it's basically an every six-month maintenance injection um, given sub-Q in, in, in the belly. So that's really the really the big advantage. So so what the guidelines did is they they really summarized the, the Capella study. Now you remember that there's also another study called the Calibrate study, and there's also the Purpose One and Purpose Two. I think there's uh, three and four as well. But those are some of the prep studies. But the 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 
Uh, calibrate study is a treatment naive study, which, we, which we've covered in the past, but this is really kind of focusing on the FDA approval, which is really Capella. And then, <clears throat> so this study was really looking at, uh, it's a phase three multi-center trial, really in, enrolling heavily ART experienced patients. So there were 72 of them. These patients had multi-drug resistant HIV with virologic failure. And then they really, they divided people into kind of two cohorts. One was the randomized cohort, and then one was the non-randomized. Um, the cohort one had 36 people. It had uh, participants who had uh, less than a half a log decline in screening and baseline, from screening to baseline. And then they were randomized two to one um, to either oral lenacapavir or placebo. And then they continued to receive their failing ARV regimen for those for, for those 14 days. So really what this is doing is looking at um, the virologic efficacy of lenacapavir alone in those first 14 days with somebody who's failing their therapy. So then after that, on day 15, all the participants began uh, an optimized background regimen. And then those that were randomized to oral lenacapavir began their sub-Q uh, injections every six months. And then the people in the placebo actually received oral lenacapavir load followed by sub-Q and then, and then, and then every, every six months after that. Um, so the bottom line here, Mariana, is that at the end of 26 weeks, which is after one dose of sub-Q lenacapavir, this data has been presented before, 81% of people were undetectable, less than 50. And then if you, if, um, uh, and then if you, 89% uh, had viral loads less than 200 copies. And then the 52-week data, uh, which is after two doses of sub-Q lenacapavir, 83% people had less than 50. And then the people um, who had um, uh, responses actually were actually better for those people who had more active drugs in their optimized background regimen. In fact, if you look at those with at least two active drugs in their optimized background regimen who had lenacapavir added, 94% of those people um, got undetectable uh, if they had if they had a really at least, at least two active uh, op optimized drugs in their background regimen. Versus if you had no active drugs, it was it was 67%. So even in that setting, right, you're getting a two thirds of the patients undetectable, even if you had no active drugs in your OBR, you're just adding lenacapavir. So really, really good numbers, I think, and good data supporting uh, this drug in, in, for its role in treatment experience patients. Um, CD4 count changes at 52 weeks was about 82 cells. So again, decent CD4 count. The non-randomized cohort was really people who either didn't qualify for the randomized cohort or those people who actually were, well, it was almost like an overflow group, like people who didn't, once they met their, their numbers for the first part of the cohort one, they got put into cohort two. But these are participants who started on an optimized background regimen, received oral on a capavir. This is the day one, two, and eight. And then on day 15, they got sub-Q on a capavir. Uh, and that was given every six months. And it, it same very similar numbers, whereas after 26 weeks, 83% of people were undetectable, uh, less than 50 copies, and 86% had viral loads less than 200 copies. And then the 52-week da uh, data, which is after two shots, 72% um, had viral loads less than 50. CD4 count changes were very good at 113. So bottom line, treatment experience patients, not a lot of options. Patients did very well. People with more active drugs in their optimized background regimen do better. There was also an analysis at Croy that looked at um, response rates. And it really didn't matter if you had darunavir in the background, if you had fostemsevir, ibolizumab, dolutegavir, it really didn't matter. Patients did very well across the board if you had active drugs in the background regimen. And that's really the key piece of, for this drug, I think, is starting it earlier rather than waiting until you have no other options. Now, it's complex to get it, but I think that's the most important thing. Um, sometimes you get questions, Marietta, also on the oral leading, like what happens with the oral therapy? 
And nausea is the most common thing. And it happens in about 13% of patients who, who receive on a cap of your, and then the injection site reactions, which were generally mild and, and transient. I don't want to minimize them, but it was reported about two thirds of, of the patient population had some kind of an injection site reaction, which is pretty common. Um, so another thing that, that actually uh, gets asked here is that, all right, so if the patients are undetectable, they're doing fine, that's great, but do they actually develop resistance if they fail? So in this analysis uh, that they added in the, the DHHS guidelines, they looked at out of the 72 people, 31% or 22 patients actually met criteria for resistance testing at confirmed virologic failure. And this was the data through week 52. And then they actually found of those 22 patients, nine of them or 41% of that population had confirmed virologic failure and they had actually capsid resistance mutations. And so there's a couple of different ones that we worry about, but this M66I mutation was the most common mutation that was reported in six participants. Now, of those six participants that got this M66I, four of those um, uh, had no active agent in the optimized background regimen. So again, from a resistance standpoint, when you're thinking about using this drug, if you use it later on after patients have no drugs in their optimized background regimen, there is certainly a resistance risk that can potentially happen. Um, four others had low level uh, plasma concentrations of, of the optimized background regimens, suggesting potentially poor adherence uh, of the self-administered optimized background regimen, which really resulted in an unfavorable uh, lenacapavir functional monotherapy. So again, earlier use of the drug with active drugs is going to be more beneficial for the patient and hopefully prevent resistance from occurring. Most of these resistance cases are in these people with no, with no drugs in their optimized background regimen. And I think the, the most important thing is obviously adherence is important, but with all the studies done in these populations, they really have to have a good optimized background regimen and patients have to take, take the medication. So obviously patient adherence is really important. So I know lenacapavir has some drug interactions. Did the guideline updates address that? And if so, what do healthcare providers need to know? Um, yeah, so Mariana, they did a great job at addressing this. So as many of you know, um, lenacapavir is, is actually a little strange in that it's actually a moderate CYP3-4 inhibitor. It's not a potent one. It's not mild, but it's moderate. So it's kind of in the middle for, for inhibition of CYP3-4. So it's kind of like a like protease inhibitor light, I guess, is what I would call. I don't know if that's fair, but it may increase concentrations of some of the co-administered drugs that we use for patients. So, but on the other hand, lenacapavir concentrations may um, be significantly decreased in the presence of strong CYP3-4 inducers. And that's been added to this table in the guidelines, table 24G. So I encourage you to look at DHHS tables, search them. Um, if you just search DHHS guideline tables, table 24G is the, one of the drug interaction um, tables that specifically looks at lenacapavir. But as usual, patients should be routinely counseled to inform uh, all of their healthcare providers of all the medications that they're taking, including lenacapavir, even though it's not taken daily. So here's where the real problem is, though, Mariana, and, and this is actually really nicely laid out in the guidelines. So since lenacapavir is long-acting, right, so we, I think we know this, it, it's a long-acting injectable that lasts for six months, and it's administered every six months. And due to that long half-life of the injectable formulation, you have to really be careful about CYP3-4 inhibition that may persist for up to nine months after the last injection. So providers need to be attentive to interactions even after stopping the med. So if you stop the med today and you say, I'm not going to use it anymore, from the date of the last shot, you have to worry about drug interactions with this drug for probably about nine months after, they, after they've gotten their last shot. So like all HIV meds, 
people living with HIV should really be counseled about the importance of informing all their healthcare providers about their HIV regimen um, prior to starting and any new concomitant medications that they start including not only prescription ones, but also over-the-counter and any herbals or dietary supplements. And this obviously would mil- will minimize the risk of drug interactions. But just some highlights here. Um, we call about, we talk about these drugs, the COP drugs, the copper drugs. So carbamazepine, oxcarbazepine, phenobarb, and phenytoin, that's the COP part of it. And then you have the R part, which is the rifampin, rifabutin, rifapentine. And then even the herbal um, th- therapy, St. John's Wort. All of these um, can reduce lonicapavir levels. And that's important. Um, so use caution, you know, um, also due to increased levels of digoxin, certainly certainly DOAX. Rivaroxaban seems to be the worst, but I would actually include the bigotran, adoxaban, and also there's also obviously a pixaban as well. Um, statins, uh, lovastatin, simvastatin, and some of the narcotics like oxycodone and fentanyl and buprenorphine, possibly tramadol, these potential drugs may actually be increased when you're on one capivir together. So as far as HIV medications go, a lot of them are okay. Darunavir is one with ritonavir, Kobe, TAF, Dolutegavir, and those are the most common ones that you would probably see that, that patients would be on while they're on this uh, medication together. Uh, Fostemsevir and um, also Ivalizumab were also allowed in the studies. You want to avoid it with Efavirenz and Nivirapine. I don't think anybody would use that with this drug anyways. Um, but these uh, can be increased since the lonicapavirus is, is a moderate inhibitor of CYP3A4. So I just encourage you to take a look at the Liverpool site uh, and the Liverpool database now. And then I think you remember that we have our DHHS app, so we'll also be updated with this information soon as well. But the DHHS guideline tables have also been updated to include lenocapavir and are very good for the bottom line information. And I encourage you to take a look at those um, uh, th- those tables and also the, our, our app that's going to be up updated pretty soon uh, with, with this new information. That's pretty much it though for today, Marianne. I think really helpful information that's in the guidelines on lenocapavir. I encourage you to take a look. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about some of the key highlights from the latest DHHS guidelines updates, specifically regarding lenocapavir. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AATC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org. That's www.nikaatc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaatc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaatc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.